you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to page to Isaiah 42, verses 18 through chapter 43, verse 21. Mix it up there. If you're using the Bible for right in the pew rack in front of you, that's on page 766. 766. We are continuing our journey through the prophecy of Isaiah. And we pray and we ask God's mercy upon us. In fact, let's read and then we will pray and we will ask him to minister in gracious mercy. Isaiah 42, verse 18, through chapter 43, verse 21. Follow along as I read. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue. Spoil with none to say. Restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? In whose ways they would not walk and whose law they would not obey. So he poured on him the heat of his anger. And the might of battle, it set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored. And I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? 
Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. And let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise." This is God's inspired, inerrant, infallible word. May he write its truths upon our hearts. Would you pray with me? God, as we open your word now, we ask that you would illuminate our minds and our hearts to see. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we might behold And that we might trust. Let us not walk in disobedience. Because we cannot see or hear you. Draw us near to you that we might see and hear. Of the work that you are doing in us. The work that you are doing for us. And that you the work that you will accomplish. For us. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. A couple of months ago, I was at the doctor for my regular yearly checkup physical. I have reached the point in life, some of you who are a little further down the road than me will laugh, but I've reached the point where I have found that when I go to the doctor, I actually take questions that I have uh, and say, hey, this is going on. Is this normal? And... uh, That was the tone of this last visit. This last visit, I was getting checked out, and I asked the doctor. He said, everything checked out fine, everything. He said, hey, uh, any any other questions you have? And I said, yeah, I got one for you. Can you check my ears? I don't think I'm hearing very well these days. Particularly, there are times where I don't hear my wife when I think I should. You laugh, but it's true. So he got out his 
whatever instrument that is that you get out and looked deep in there. And he said, your ears, inside of your ears looked, looked great. I was hoping there'd be like some junk or peanut butter or something in there that he could clean out and help me to hear better. So I explained to him that every once in a while, Amanda will be talking and I just won't be able to hear real clearly what she's saying. And he said, well, it's not uncommon for men at your age. And he said this was like a total straight doctor's face. He said, it's not uncommon for men at your age. One of the first ranges of sounds or of voices that they start to lose the ability to fully hear and fully understand is that of, of, of women. And I said, boy, doc, the doctors, the jokes just write themselves, don't they? I don't know if that's like evolution and, and, and a survival technique or I don't know what it is. But anybody who has tried to hear well in a marriage or any other close relationship will tell you that how well we hear, how well we see is of great consequence and importance. Today we see God ask, how well do you hear? How clearly do you see? What I'm going to hold before you in this passage is that God will not let his church drift, disinterested in him. He will powerfully renew us that we might be captivated by him. Let me say that again. God will not let his church drift, disinterested in him. He promises to powerfully renew us that we might be captivated by him. Our passage, Isaiah 42, verse 18 through 43, verse 21, comes on the heels of God speaking to the nations. You remember last week, we saw God confront the idols of the Gentile nations and reveal their futility. Reveal their emptiness, reveal the limitations of what they could do for their peoples. And then he called the nations to come to him and worship him, the one true God. Well, in his great address before the peoples, he now turns from the Gentile nations and now turns to his people. The people of Judah, people Israelites, who are in captivity in Babylon. And he gives them a checkup, evaluating their sight and their hearing. You see this in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 42. He says, hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open but he does not hear. The Lord is holding up the eye chart and his people are blind. This is in one essence, in one sense, what brought them to this point of captivity in Babylon. It was brought about not because the Lord was hardened and angry for no good reason, was vindictive in seeking to take out his wrath or his judgment upon something else, and so he just picked the people of Judah. Now, his people, over the course of decades, over the course of years, over the course even of centuries, had drifted away from him to the point that he had gone from the, 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 the spectacularly glorious, 
God of whom they submit their lives before to simply a God whom they are aware of. Perhaps they talk about him at the holidays. Perhaps they attend church, but upon walking in the door, they quickly start looking at the watch and waiting for the service to get over. Perhaps they worship him, yet they clearly have lines drawn for what is is and is not off limits about what he says to them. They had become spiritually blind and deaf. And the Lord, in his love for them, refused to leave them in this state. But as many of you are probably familiar, surgery that heals is sometimes surgery that hurts. And so God allowed his people to be taken captive by the Babylonian superpower to the north. And so now they're in this captivity, and yet God is promising comfort and rescue and redemption. But he must first, before rescuing, he must first teach. He must first instruct. He must do surgery upon their heart. Look at the Lord speaking of what was of old amongst his people and how he ministered to them. It says in verse 21, the Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. And yet, verse 22, this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say, restore. If we go down to verse 24, the Lord says, who gave up Jacob to the looter? And Israel to the plunders. Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? In whose ways they would not walk. In whose law they would not obey. One of the striking. Sobering realities. Of what we see with the people of Judah. And what we must be warned about. This day. Is. That as God instructed his people to be a fragrant aroma, a compelling community where, the, where, where the, the, the testimony of the richness and the beauty and the glory and the goodness and the grace of God flowed through his people. They had become a people that this aroma did not spread to the surrounding nations, showing them that there was a God far greater than their gods. But instead, Israel and Judah shrunk to the level of the people around them and began to worship false gods of the nations. And so how does God work this work of transforming his power of his people? He captivates them by his word. One commentator said of this passage and said of the state of Babylon, it is grimly sad that those who worship false gods and worship no God even, often rise above what their religion inspires. But the people of the true God live below their dignity and fail the God who has illuminated them. How well do you see and how well do you hear? What we see in these Verses 18 to 25 is that the servant of the Lord, we previously saw earlier in chapter 42, a servant that we see would be revealed to be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
But now God bringing it back and pulling back from that look far into the future, bringing it back to his people in their day, speaks of Judah as his servant who had failed. And what we see is the servant whom the Lord had given up. The problem of the servant was that they could not see, they could not hear. They had grown to neglect the God whom had redeemed them. Let me ask you a question. If you were going to grow deaf and blind to the work and the words of God, what are the things that would allure you towards that deafness and blindness? Said another way, what are the ways or what are the areas of your life in which you would say, God, I appreciate you, but I cannot give to you this. I appreciate you in regards to the promises that I have in Christ and in the gospel. Sure, I'll take heaven one day. But I would really rather you not be in this work of transforming me in this life. I'm happy as I am. I don't want the awkward conversations that come with reconciliation with folks of whom I had past conflict even decades ago. I don't want the humbling that comes with having to own the fact that I idolize and I cherish above God this other aspect of my life and I don't want Him to have to reform and transform my heart as it is shaped towards my family, towards my work, towards my hobbies, whatever. But the truth is, God does not negotiate with us. And this is a good thing. God, have you ever considered the fact that it is a good thing that God does not and is not beholden to give you what you think you most need? Rather, God knows and gives and ministers to us what He knows we most need. In fact, one theme that we'll see from now until the end of the book of Isaiah is God intends to renew and to reform and to reshape the whole universe, marching towards a point when all of creation will gladly and globally rejoice in the glory of His name and in the preciousness of His gospel, And that renewal, where else would it start than amongst his own people? Has it ever struck you that week by week as the people of God gather to worship, there is perhaps no greater mechanism by which God is doing his transforming work in the world than in the gathering of the saints to hear from his word and to worship his holy name? We have a real-life illustration of that even this week as we watch things unfold in Ukraine. I saw a a report yesterday uh, from a pastor in Kiev who was... um, uh, Somebody reached out to him and said, Hey, how are you doing? How is is your church? And he said, Well, obviously, things are not good. Things are, are, are 
we're, we're, we, we, we are fleeing for our lives in some instances. Some are staying to defend our homeland. And uh, Kiev itself is on a, a curfew. And there's missiles being fired all around us. And they said, well, what are, this man asked, well, what are you going to do tomorrow? He said, well, I'm finishing my sermon and we'll have church. Illustrating yet again that the manner by which God transforms his world is by his work in his people. It is an act of defiance against the gods of this world that we come to worship the one true God day by day, week by week, that our hearts be consecrated to him. I saw another pastor who said, do you want to know that one of the greatest ways that you can stand up to Vladimir Putin and his regime? Go worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords before whom he will one day fall and be held accountable. God is in the business of transforming his world and he starts in in and with his church. But his love for us is far too great to give us those peaceable, kind, surface-level greetings without getting to the heart. You know those greetings that we are all familiar with. You run into the friend or acquaintance at the grocery store. Maybe your house burned down on the way. Maybe you found out that you got fired as you were pulling into the parking lot. Maybe you... uh, Realize the loved one got a terrible diagnosis that you got a text message about it on the previous aisle Yet you run into that person on the aisle and say, oh, how good. It's so good to see you I haven't seen you in, in, in so long. How are you doing? And you say, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm fine God does not let us tell tell him that we are fine when he knows we are not And even more precisely God does not let us tell ourselves that we are fine When he knows that we are not He does not leave his people in their deafness and their blindness. In fact, as verse 25 says, as they deal with the problem of their own spiritual hard-heartedness, they deal with the problem of their lack of trust in God, they deal with the problem of the fact that they do not truly believe that God is who he is. They might say these things as they talk of him, but their hearts reveal a far more dangerous truth. God works transformation for his people, even by disciplining his people. Verse 25 tells us, so he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. The hymn here is this servant, Judah, the people of Israel. Verse 24 and 25 remind us of the truth that we see across Scripture that God is the divine actor, sovereignly working in the world, even chastening His people in their own sin. I don't know if you've ever been in the boat where you or someone you know around you has been particularly sick or particularly ill, and they refuse to admit it, but then others look at them and say, no, you really are not doing well. You need medical attention. Let us take you to the doctor. Let us call you an ambulance. What God has is a people who are limping in 
who are suffering at the hands of their enemies. A people who are far more disastrously spiritually blind and deaf. And they tell God, no, we're fine. We're fine. Surely there are others who are are more needing of your attention right now. God does not allow them to live in denial of their spiritual hard-heartedness. The goodness of God's discipline is that He refines us with fire. But the purpose of His discipline is that He does not allow us to get burned. Look at verses 43, one in, or chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Do you see that? The end of verse 2, you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. Verse 25, right before, at the end of chapter 42, so he poured out on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around. The divine surgeon. Perhaps better illustrated, let's say the divine blacksmith. God creating tools for His glory, yet knowing that He must shape us, shape them in the heat of fire. I don't have much experience as a blacksmith. I've seen it at like the little amusement parks or things like that where you got the, the, the tools and the and the, and the implements and the instruments of, of, of days of old, of, of workshops. And the, the ones that always scared me were like a, a, a dental chair and dental tools from, let's say, 150 years ago. Kind of struck me. It, it, no wonder life expectancy was about 35 years. It wasn't that people were, 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 were dying of terrible disease. I, I think a lot of people were going to the dentist and, and, and that was what was taking them out. But you see these tools and you see the blacksmith, you see him like hold hold this this iron or this 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 steel that that is is uh, in the fire and, and then pulling out and then hammering and, and bending it around to, to craft it into an instrument for a specific use. And this is what God's saying that he does with his people. He says, my purpose for you in verse three. Look at what he reminds his people as he disciplines them in verse three. I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. This reference to Egypt, hearkening back in the in the minds of the Israelites To centuries and centuries and centuries prior when God worked divine miracles in rescuing them out of their captivity in Egypt, parting the Red Sea that they might walk through, that they might be redeemed by Him. That brings life to verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
what God is holding up for His people to understand is that He is always with His people, but sometimes His withness with His people is evidenced in His miraculous, but perhaps difficult, even painful, disciplining of His people. But He does this that they might be able to trust Him. That they might be able to proclaim His glory and His goodness. That their hearts might be warmed. Not by the fires of His disciplining work. But warmed by the embrace and the reminder of His goodness and grace. His power displayed in all of creation. Directed upon them with their name as the destination to which, the address upon which the delivery of His mercy is destined to. Now we read this and it might come to mind. So what does this mean? Is this some form of great cosmic divine karma? Is this saying God sees His people doing bad and therefore He brings judgment upon them? And therefore we kind of have to ask, perhaps like Job's friends, okay, what were you doing that you deserved this? The danger in preaching a passage like this is seeing this kind of thing and, and, and starting to think that sort of thing. I, re- I remember back uh, 12 years ago, I had the privilege of teaching for a week at Kiev Theological Seminary in Ukraine, and I have a picture of myself with about 12 to 15 other pastors who were from Ukraine or a few of them from surrounding uh, other, other countries. Um, and I was looking at that picture the other night, and I was thinking, what is going through these pastors' minds as they have families, as they have churches, as their country is being invaded, all these things. And I'm thinking to myself, what is going through these guys' minds? And then I'm thinking of this passage, and I'm saying, okay, I've got to wrestle with this. Is, is, is God bringing about what they're going through, or is God bringing about the war that is going on in your own heart over who knows what because you have done something wrong? I think what we have to be careful to realize is that living in a sinful, fallen world, we cannot articulate every instance by which some kind of evil or every instance by which some kind of pain or hardship comes as, oh, yep, that's God giving him what he deserves. I knew that that guy had something going on that was not right with him, and now all this adversity that has come upon him, that proves it. That's not how we look at life. That's not how we look at our brothers and sisters in the faith. That's not how we judge what's going on in world events. I remember when, oh, I used this illustration before with you. I'm not going to go there. Now you're wondering what it is, but I'm really not going to go there. We got, we're doing Lord's Supper today. We don't have enough time for me to wonder. It's dangerous, dangerous for us to try to interpret God's hand in the present moment with our limited wisdom and our limited capabilities. It's easier for us to see providence through the rearview mirror than through the windshield looking forward. 
But what we have to do as we see and as we experience and we feel the tension and the pool and the adversity and the hardship and the trials and the struggles and and, and the pains of our life and the the feelings of which is God giving me this divine eye test, this divine hearing test, and really rattling me and shaking me to the point where he's trying to wake me up, is before we try to say exactly what the plans of God are, we have to understand what the purposes of God are. And what we see here is the purpose of God is his love is far too great for his people to leave them in their blindness and their deafness. And his love for you and his love for me and his church, his love for the church in Ukraine and his love for the church in Yugoslavia and his love for the church in Australia or Kosovo or uh, Ecuador or uh, Colombia or anywhere else on the planet is for our hearts to be sanctified in his glory. And so we don't look around and say, well, what did they do to deserve that? We look around and we plead for God's mercy to understand the work that he's doing in our lives. That we might receive his disciplining hand that comes upon all of us as his children. That we might receive it with thankfulness. There's an illustration from the Chronicles of Narnia. I can't remember what book it's in. Uh, I've read them a number of times, uh, but I can't remember. There's seven books, six, seven books in the Chronicles of Narnia. I've read them a number of times now. I'm telling you how little I know about them. Um, but but where this this boy who has been captured uh, uh, and and he's got these like dragon like scales upon him that need to be ripped away, and and he taught and, and this. Aslan figure who, who plays this Christ figure, this lion, he, he uh, 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 kind of paws these, these, these scales, these dragon-like scales off of the boy. And in one sense, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts for these to be taken off of him. But in another sense, more and more and more as they are taken off of him, he feels this liberating, freeing grace coming upon him. The discipline of God the pain even that you may feel, that you feel God has directed and brought this about upon me with my name on it. He has done it. Before we charge God with injustice or with wrong, perhaps we must understand the design for which He has done this is for our good. And the great way that he does this is perhaps we don't receive this and say, okay, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you trying to show me? But we receive this as the means by which we are still without all the answers that we need, driven to trust in him, driven to leave and humble our hearts before him and, and, and submit our wills before him and align our plans and our desires and our hopes under his might and under his reign. Knowing that his purposes for us are not just what he has done in the past, but what he is doing now and where he is taking us in the future. You see, what we see in this passage in Isaiah 42 and 43, as God works in disciplining and delivering his people, is we see that the problem of their disobedience, we see the purpose of his divine discipline, And in a moment, we'll see the power by which he accomplishes this. But as he references Egypt, he references that his purposes cannot be thwarted. Remember this story of of old. 
And then look at what he says. Verse 5 through 7. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and I made. Bring out the peoples who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let me pause here. God is bringing about another kind of royal courtroom scene where he's saying he's putting he's putting himself, in essence, on trial and saying, can you find fault with me? Can you find injustice with me? Can you find unfaithfulness with me? And then he says, you are my witnesses. You are my servant whom I've chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord. Beside me, there is no Savior. As we see the world burning, what God holds up before us as the church, this place where the transformation of the world is underway, This place where the transformation of the world is underway, even in the transforming work he is doing in our hearts, even in hearing his word. As we see the world burning, we of all people should be the most hopeful. Not because we bury our heads in the sand and live in denial, but because we know our God can be trusted with our lives. And we know that he is the one who delivers his people, his church through the fires, through the waters. In fact, Isaiah 43, verse 12, reveals a pattern that is repeated throughout the Bible. God declares, God saves, and then God gives His people the grace of hearing His revealed Word. Look at that. I declared and I saved and I proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And now you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. As I read this week, truth does not emerge as people wrestle to understand the acts of God. Rather, as in Exodus 3 and 4, and as we see here, divine speech comes first, setting out what the coming events will be and what they will mean. So God builds his church by his word. He frees the slaves by his word, and he gives grace to your heart and to mine by his word. So the question that we all must ask, even as we consider, am I deaf? Am I blind? Perhaps the most foundational diagnostic question that we can ask on that is, what is my attitude towards his word? Not do I know it all, not do I understand it all, but is my heart humbled before his word? Is my heart thankful for his word? Does my heart receive his word as authority over me or as a hindrance to me? He builds his church by his word. He frees his slaves by his word. This is why we regularly read the word in our services. This is why we encourage you week by week to read the passage that we're going to preach. uh, Read and meditate on it in the days leading up to the service and the sermon. 
This is why we try to read God's Word in our personal devotions. But I urge and I caution against reading to get done. Reading and attending worship to say, okay, it's over, it's out of, it's out of here, it's, it's done. But reading that we might hear, that we might see, that we might feel the grace and the glory of our God. But you know what we read and we see and we hear and we feel and we know intimately as revealed in His Word? We've seen the problem of His people needing discipline. We've seen the purpose for which He disciplines. And now we see the power as we conclude and see the manner by which He accomplishes His work. Verse 14, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. As we walk verses 16 to 21, I want to lay before you that we are going to see the relentless resolve of God to work His eternal purposes for his people. He's just referenced that he will redeem, he will rescue his people out of Babylon. And now he, refer- he takes their minds back to Egypt. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. You see that crossing the Red Sea there. Who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Speaking of those who chased his people through the Red Sea, the, the forces of Egypt. And then God tells his people, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. What we see in this passage is we see the miraculous hand of God recounting what He has done, what He will do, and where He is going. I brought you through Egypt. I brought you across the Red Sea. I'm going to deliver you out of Babylon. And as Christians today... We can say the miraculous hand of God did not stop with Babylon. We can say we saw even more spectacular redeeming mercy of God in what He has done to bring us out of our spiritual bondage, to bring us out of our spiritual Egypt, to rescue us from our spiritual Babylon. And that is nothing less than sending His own Son. That He might lead us on a new exodus. A new rescue out of exile. And yet, even as we sing and we recount the cross, there is a danger that we sing of it and we think of it as if it is an event of old with no power for today. I imagine that there were people in Judah 
before they went into captivity, who probably thought something along the lines of, yes, we sing of our God, He is great, and you know what though? I wish I knew a little more of that Exodus power. You guys remember what our ancestors got? If only we saw some of that today, I think we, we, we'd have a better chance of trusting Him. And the danger that we face even now as we wonder what God might be doing as He works out His mysterious purposes for us and as He exposes that we don't hear Him or see Him as well as we think we ought or as well as we should. The danger is that we leave His power in the pages of what has happened in years and centuries and millennia ago and we fail to see That he is still at work in his people today. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? What is that new thing? I think it's nothing less than transforming the entire universe for the sake of his glory. And I think it starts in his church. But it doesn't start in his church with just intellectual awareness of, wow, this is how this all fits together with the Bible and history and everything about it. It starts in his church in the hearts of his people. With hearts willingly, gladly receiving the disciplining hand of God upon them. That they go to a place where they can sing and they can cry out, you are the one who has created me. You are the one who has set me apart. You are the Holy One of Israel. You have sent your Son for me. You are the one whom I trust and whom I know is at work through your Word and your Spirit in your people today. You might think you're not spiritually blind or dead or that spiritual sight or spiritual deafness. Maybe you see signs of it, but not bad. But let me ask you, how much power does the message of the gospel and the resolve of God to transform us into the image of Christ To burn away the sin which we so closely cling to. And to, as that divine blacksmith, to shape us into what he would have us to be. How much do you receive that with thankfulness? And with gladness? And with trust? That might help to know how blind or how deaf you really are. When I went to the doctor and he said, sorry, that's just the way that things are going with your ears as you age. That might not bode well for my communication with Amanda in the years to come. But our hearts do not have the luxury of saying that's just how it's going to be. Because we have our God 
who speaks new life to us and who gives us new ears to hear and new eyes to see and even new hearts to trust even as he works in us. The question before you and the question before me is will we receive these as a humble, gracious gift of his? And will we allow him to work his good, yet perhaps difficult work in us as he molds us and shapes us and makes us as the people who verse 21 tells us, the people whom he formed for himself, that they might declare his praise. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would help us to take the example of our Savior, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to the point of death, and to know that through Christ you are doing a good and a new and a faithful work in your people. through that old, precious word and through that continually faithful spirit by which you work within us. Help us to receive your sanctifying purposes for us. Not with tit-for-tat agreements. Okay, Lord, you can have this, but not this. But with gladness as people who once knew you who once rejoiced in the gospel, but perhaps feel a little cold, a little distant, of whom you promise to give sight to them and give hearing to them, that they might see and savor Christ all the more yet again. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.